as we find it in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. This is the account of the Lord healing. We're going to begin reading at verse 22. And this is the account of the Lord healing um, a man who was born blind and mute. And also the question is questioning by the Pharisees for a sign. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to begin reading at verse 22 and continue uh, through verse 42. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. This is the word of the Lord. Our text this morning, well, we're going to focus on most of the passage, but uh, verse 38, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Congregation beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some years ago, when we were happened to be traveling in Europe, we rented a car at Schiphol Airport and went out with some friends of ours and toured about the Netherlands a bit. And then we, a few days later, came back and we dropped the ladies off with the luggage by the airport and we went to bring the car back, return the car. And as we were returning the car, uh, I turned down toward the garage and there were no signs where to return the rental cars. And so there was a little fork in these ramps and so I said, well, we'll try this ramp. Uh, unfortunately, it was the wrong ramp, and we ended up heading toward Amsterdam again. Now, the women were waiting with the luggage, and the airplane was going to be leaving, and so we made a U-turn on the freeway somehow and went back to the airport and looked again and took the other ramp and finally found where we should drop off the rental car. Well, the ladies were quite, quite upset by this, and understandably so. Uh, and we managed to get on the plane, although our luggage had to go on another plane. But at the desk, I said to the, I said to the clerk at the desk, I said, you know, there's no signs for returning rental cars. And she said, oh, um, they took down the signs this morning because they're going to move that to another garage in the airport. And so uh, that's why you couldn't find your way back. And I thought to myself, you know, signs are really important. I thought of that as I was working on this passage, that we actually live our life, our lives, uh, in a large measure by signs. There's advertising signs. Signs are everywhere. And so signs are important. But there are certain things we have to understand about signs. First of all, we have to understand that they need to be interpreted. When you look at a sign, you can 
dismiss some signs and say, well, that's unimportant. But some signs are important. If you're traveling in a strange country or traveling down the road in a strange area, you look for signs because you realize they're important. They get you where you're going, at least if you don't have a GPS in your car. And if you're going in other areas where the signs are written in other languages, you have to you have to be able to interpret it a little bit. Or if you're in another, for example, if you're in Canada and you see a sign that says Toronto is a, a, a 100 kilometers, well, you do a little mental calculation and you say, well, it's, it's about 62 miles. Uh, and, and even sometimes signs can be deceptive. If you look at a sign, for example, or a picture of uh, a railroad tracks, well, to give you an idea of, the, uh, of perspective, it looks like the track tracks are coming together, but, but that's not the case, and you know that's not the case, and you interpret it because you realize that that only gives the sign or the picture a little perspective. Second thing we have to understand is signs are not reality. If you're out west in South Dakota and you see a sign, for example, Mount Rushmore. And there's an arrow pointing down a road that would lead to Mount Rushmore. That sign is not the reality of Mount Rushmore. It only points to something else. Now we all understand that. We all realize that. But we have to be very careful because spiritually and religiously sometimes people confuse the sign with the reality it points to. I mean, there are people who say, oh yes, I worship God. And I have an idol that I pray to and that points me to God. That idol is just a sign. Or that picture or that icon is just a sign. Or that image is just a sign. But eventually, that sign takes on a kind of spiritual reality. I mean, during the Middle Ages, people would make pilgrimage to all kinds of shrines to pray by a certain, a certain image or something that had, had a spiritual power. Uh, go to the Shroud of Turin, the burial cloth supposedly that Christ was buried in. Oh, you pray there and, and that sign in itself, that shroud, has some kind of mystical spiritual power. You know, you go to Lourdes and you, you, you uh, bathe in the waters there and you might be healed. Oh, yes, I know that God heals you, but you know, it's these waters have a miraculous power. Uh, they can bring about healing. So the sign takes on a mystical power, and then we end up in idolatry. You end up in a form of idolatry. And last of all, a sign 
by its very nature, good signs should be truthful. If there's an arrow pointing in a certain direction that you will find something, you trust that the sign is truthful and that at the end of the road there will be Mount Rushmore and not the Grand Canyon or something else. Signs should be truthful. Now this morning we see the account of the Pharisees asking the Lord Jesus Christ for a sign. He asks that they ask him for a sign. Teacher, teacher, will you show us a sign? And it sounds so respectful. Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Sounds so respectful. It sounds reasonable. Isn't it reasonable to ask for a sign? And so we're going to consider this passage this morning. Notice, first of all, who are the people that are asking for this sign? Secondly, notice, notice uh, what are they asking for? Thirdly, notice the Lord's response. And finally, what does this mean for us? First, who's asking for a sign? Secondly, what's the Lord's response to this request? Thirdly, secondly, what are they, why are they asking? Thirdly, what is the Lord's response? And finally, what is the significance of that for us? First of all, then, who are the ones that are asking for a sign? Well, it's the scribes and Pharisees. It's the professors of theology, the respected spiritual leaders. It's the, it's, it's the clergy, not, not necessarily the priests, but the, the intellectuals of, of, of the time, asking, asking the Lord for a sign. And, and it sounds so respectful. Teacher, we'd like to see a miraculous sign from you. And these people are not simply, not simply the scholars of the day or the teachers of the law, but they are also the political influencers of the day. You know, they are the ones that at the time of Christ's crucifixion were the loudest in screaming, crucify him, crucify him. We're looking, we're looking for, for a sign here. Prove yourself to us. And that, interestingly enough, is in the context of a sign that Jesus had just showed them. You know, there's two passages in, in Matthew where we read about the scribes and Pharisees asking for a sign. We see it in Matthew 16 and then here in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew 16, it's in the context of the Lord performing the astounding miracle in the desert of feeding 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few fish. Feeds this massive group of people in the desert so that there's food left over. 
And they come and they ask Jesus for a sign. And you want to say, wait a minute. You just saw this sign. And now you want something else? And we see it also in Matthew chapter 12 here. Uh, This passage records Jesus heals a man who was born blind and deaf. It says mute in in the Bible. He was probably deaf, so he never learned to speak. Blind and deaf. Perhaps some of you have heard of Helen Keller. Many years ago, she was a lady that was blind and deaf, and she had this caregiver, Annie, that taught her, had to break through that blind and that deafness and taught her how to communicate by, with her hands, touching her hands. And she became quite well known. Blind and deaf. How do, you're cut off from, from the outside world. You're in this world of your own. How do you break through? And the Lord heals him. Miraculous, incredible healing of this man blind and deaf from birth. And immediately we see the Pharisees saying, we'd like a sign from you. Give us a sign. The crowd saw that sign, and and what was their response? Well, the crowd says, could this be the son of David? Could this be the one, the promised Messiah? They respond with the question, maybe we have to take this, this teacher, this rabbi, Jesus, maybe we have to take him more seriously. No one but God can do something like this. They understood the scriptures. In in Isaiah, for example, uh, he speaks of the coming Messiah. What will it be like? Well, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The deaf, the ears of the deaf unstopped. That's a passage in the Messiah. They understood the scriptures. Christ had given them a sign. I am the one who is coming... Who, who is the coming kingdom of God. I am the one who is promised. You, you've just seen a sign. And immediately after that, these scribes and Pharisees come to the Lord and they say, give us a sign. You see, the problem is, There is no sign that would have satisfied the scribes and the Pharisees because they came in unbelief. You know, it's ironic, it sounds so sincere, but they were not sincere. Their hearts, their hearts were darkened. Give us a sign after seeing a sign. Give us another sign, as if Christ is a traveling magician to satisfy their curiosity. It's like saying, prove you are the Messiah. Prove. You say to an atheist, prove to me that God exists. There was an atheist uh, by the name of Ingersoll uh, many, many years ago used to go around and talk about atheism and condemning Christianity and, and he, would, 
he would say in his speech, well, if there is a God, I don't believe him. If there is a God, let him show himself and strike me dead. Well, of course, it didn't happen. So that, that for him was proof that there was no God, as if God can be put to the test by man. And so it was with these Pharisees, as if Christ was, was some kind of traveling magician. Uh, just give us a sign, you know. And there's some of that kind of mentality today, too, you know, in, in a vision of Christianity that speaks of signs and wonders. You're sick, well, pray, and God will heal you. And if he doesn't heal you, well, it's, it's your fault because your faith isn't strong enough. They're looking for signs to somehow prove, prove to them that God really exists and these, that Christ is indeed the son of David, that Christ is indeed the promised Messiah. Why are they asking for this sign? Well, you see, they had just experienced a crushing defeat. Christ had given this sign, a clear sign, that proved he was indeed the promised Messiah. And they're not, they don't want to accept that sign. And, and so they, they come to him with hearts of unbelief. And they want another sign. They want another sign. What did they expect? The sun to stand still? For Christ to make water run uphill? For Christ to float in the air? What, they, what did they expect? You see, man is at his core, a religious being. Whether we want to admit it or whether we want to ignore it, the Dutch theologian Bavink said we are supernaturalistic to the core. We are religious to the core. That is to say, we place want to place our trust in something. And faith has many objects. Maybe it's money, maybe it's fame, maybe it's status, maybe it's power, maybe it's a host. It, it, it can be anything, an idol, a host of other objects. Man either puts his faith in God or and something else. There's only two places to stand in the universe. We either stand in Christ or we stand outside of Christ. And these Pharisees, in a spirit of unbelief, come to the Lord and say, give us a sign. Give us a sign. You see, they weren't happy with the sign that Christ gave them in the healing of the blind 
blind man, and then in the deaf and the blind man, and then they 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 make a charge against Christ, and the charge is this: Oh, we know how you're doing this. You're doing this in the spirit of the devil, casting out demons from this man. Yeah, you're doing that in the spirit of Beelzebub. Then Christ utterly destroys their argument. The Lord looks at them and says, well, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I mean, if I'm doing this in the name of Beelzebub, and Beelzebub is the one that's, that's... invading this man with blind and and deafness, with blindness and deafness. If I'm doing it in his name, well, he's divided against himself. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? It doesn't make sense. Why would the devil be against the works of the devil? And so it must be the Spirit of God that the kingdom of God is here if I am able to do that. I am not doing it in the name of Beelzebub. And the logic was irrefutable. So they had experienced a stinging defeat and and so now they, they want to see a sign. And they are unwilling to believe the sign that was right before them. You see, people of God, sin is so blinding that without the Spirit of God working in our hearts, we will not accept any sign, no matter what God does. It is so blinding, we will not accept any sign unless the Spirit of God transforms our hearts by his grace, unless God transforms our hearts by his grace, we walk in blindness. And the Lord recognizes this. The Lord recognizes this, and and so... When they cast doubts on his power, he destroys their logic and he doesn't give them another sign. You know, there are people in the scripture that ask for signs. Uh, Gideon, for example, asked for the sign, put a fleece out and and wanted to... Uh, uh, the ground around it to be dry and the fleece to be wet and and then uh, uh, he wasn't satisfied and he asked for another sign and and God sent him these signs God answers Gideon's request for a sign but Gideon asked in the context of faith Gideon believed God he asked for a sign in the context of faith and the Lord gave him a sign But these Pharisees, these Pharisees did not ask in the context of faith. 
We see that also with Thomas. Uh, Thomas, after the Lord was risen from the dead, and the disciples tell Thomas, he says, I'm not going to believe you guys unless I put my fingers in his nail prints in his hands and, and the sword, the sword the hole in his side. He says, then I will believe. Uh, and a week later, Christ comes. Thomas made that comment in the context of loving the Lord, but doubting, doubting what had taken place, doubting the words of the disciples, and Christ comes and he says, here I am, here's my hands, Thomas, here's the sign you wanted. And what does Thomas do? He bows down, my Lord and my God. How could I doubt the promises of your word? You see, the arrogance of these Pharisees was they asked for a sign in unbelief. Christ alludes to that too also, doesn't he, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. They both, go, they both die and they go to their eternal reward. Abra, the, rich man, the rich man goes to Hades and Lazarus goes to Abram's bosom. And the rich man sees Lazarus uh, in heaven and he says, Will you please, Father Abraham, uh, send someone to my brothers to tell them Send someone to my brothers. Have someone rise from the dead and go to my brothers and tell them what awaits unbelief. And how is the response? What is the response of Abraham? They wouldn't believe if someone rose from the dead and came to them and preached to them. They have Moses and the prophets. And if they don't believe the word of the Lord that they have, they're not going to believe someone that is even risen from the dead. And so why did they ask? Well, they asked, actually, to tempt Christ. They asked, as an enemy of faith, as an enemy of the gospel, And they fail to realize that God doesn't send signs to create faith, but he sends signs to strengthen faith. And so what is Christ's response? Well, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign. And no sign's going to be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Three days in the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days in the belly of the earth and be risen again. He points to the resurrection. He points to the accomplishment of his work, dying on the cross, being raised again from the dead. That's the sign you're going to see. That's the sign that's going to be given. That's the ultimate sign. That's the ultimate victory of the Messiah. 
triumphing over sin and death and hell. But he doesn't only point to the sign of his resurrection. He points to the coming judge. He points to the coming judgment. And this must have cut these Pharisees to the heart because he speaks of two things. The first is, listen carefully, Pharisees. Listen carefully, you scribes. Because on the day of judgment, when you stand before the Lord, you know who are going to be your judges? The men of Nineveh. The men of Nineveh? The men of Nineveh? These godless Gentiles that Jonah Jonah went to preach to? These godless, unrepentant heathens? And they're going to judge me, a Pharisee, God's covenant people, part of God's covenant people, one who kept, keeps the law. They're going to be judging me. And the Lord says, yes, because they heard the preaching of Jonah and repented. And you have the word of the Lord and your pride keeps you from repenting. And who else is going to be your judge? Well, the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of the South. You remember she came to Solomon because she had heard of Solomon's wisdom. huh? She came to Solomon and, and after encountering Solomon, Uh, the wisest one of the scriptures. Uh, Blessed be Jehovah God, she says. Blessed be Jehovah your God, who is pleased to set you on the throne of Israel because Jehovah loves Israel forever and has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Here is a foreigner and a woman who would stand in judgment on these proud, arrogant, unrepentant scribes and Pharisees. And so, people of God, what of us? Should we be like the Pharisees and seek signs? Well, you know, The fact of the matter is we are surrounded by signs, all kinds of signs. The believer and the unbeliever every day of our lives are surrounded by signs. Today is the first day of spring. You want to see a sign of a creator? Take a look at the trees. You know, they're starting to turn just a little shade of green. Another, another week or two, the leaves will break out. A couple of weeks, a little warm weather. God brings the creation back to life again after this cold winter. You see the sun rising every morning, setting every evening. You see the world around you. And what does the Bible say about this sign? 
Well, the Bible says this in Psalm 19, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. Everyone can see the world around them. And there are those who will do their utmost to deny the existence of a creator. Psalm 2, if you don't believe the creation around you, well, do you believe your own creation? Out of the mouth of babes and, and infants thou hast ordained strength that you might silence the enemy and the avenger. Well, who's the enemy and the avenger? There are those who who deny the, the existence of God, who say there is no God, they're fools. Take a look at a baby in its mother's arms, the miracle of new life, the miracle of birth. Think of your own creation and say, you know, there's something beyond that. There must be a creator. God shows it to us day after day to everybody. Uh, There is no language where their voice is not heard, the psalmist tells us. We see evidence of God in this creation. We see evidence of God in our own creation. But we see also the unique revelation of God in his word and in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that special revelation that tells us of God's plan of salvation in the word of God, in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the one who was crucified, who suffered, who died, Now, do you believe that? Do you believe what God says in his word? <clears throat> we see evidence of that sign. And, and, and even beyond that, God gives us other signs, doesn't he? When we see a baby baptized, we see a few drops of water placed on the child's head. And God says to us, here is a sign. Here's a sign that points to the fact that I am a God that forgives, that washes away sins. Here is a sign that this child, this child is part of my covenant family. And that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And that parents are obligated to train up that child in the way he or she should go. That's a sign. A few drops of water. And last week we saw a sign, didn't we? A sign from God. A sign that pointed to the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. A sign uh, that was shown in a little glass of wine and a little piece of bread. This is my body which was broken for you. This is my blood which was shed for you. Remember and believe. That's God-ordained sign for us to confirm and to strengthen our faith. And if you receive that sign in unbelief, 
well, then it contributes to your condemnation. If you don't believe, don't come to the table. And so we are called to thank God. Thank God for the signs that he has given us, the signs in his general revelation around us and the great and glorious sign that he has shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. A sign that is seen in his death, a sign that is seen in his glorious resurrection, a sign which calls us to remember and to believe and to note that in so much as you partake of this, you proclaim the Lord's death for how long? Well, it's for as long as it takes until another sign comes, and that's when the Lord returns, to remember and believe until the Lord returns again. And that will be the final sign when he takes his people home to glory, when his church shall be finally and fully redeemed because of his wonderful, glorious, saving work. And so we live in hope of that sign yet to come. How thankful we are that the Lord does indeed send us signs. You know, like that woman that wanted her child healed by the Lord. He says, why should I do that? Do you believe? She said, Lord, I believe. But help thou my unbelief. And in the weakness of our faith, the Lord gives us signs to strengthen that faith until he comes again. Amen. Oh, Lord, our God, how thankful we are for the signs that you have given us, signs that surround us day by day and the general revelation that, that we see that's revealed to everyone, signs of a creator. But we give thanks especially for the signs that was given to us in your word and in the word made flesh, even our Lord Jesus Christ. The sign that, that has resulted in the redemption of your people, in the salvation of your people. And so, God, we give thanks for this, the great of, greatest of signs, sign that has been shown to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear us now, for it is in his name that we pray. Amen.